Welcome to Hospitality News. This is Raj Rundawa. And I'm Richard Majewski. So, obviously, disappointment on what happened with the Champions League, which you don't have to really talk about, other than the fact, I will say one thing. I found it a very strange game because it was really exciting, especially the second half, and there are so few shots. I can't remember such an exciting football game where there's so few shots. Yeah, it was an interesting game, really, and I suppose that, you know, for people that are more aware of strategy than I am, I suppose they might have kind of seen it as a, as a chess game. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. And yeah, I'm, I'm just pleased we won, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at the end of the day, I don't know why. Yeah, no, OK, so we lost. Thanks. And I must admit, I, I loved it when Brentford won. I'll tell you one of the things that I loved about the Brentford win. Brentford has always been a family stroke community club. When I was a kid growing up, Brentford footballers used to come to our school and actually teach us football and all that kind of stuff. And it was great. But what I hadn't realised was Brentford had been a top division side once before. And that was in 1946-47. They were actually in the top league back then. Is that right? I didn't realise that. Yeah. I didn't know they were ever I didn't realise it. And the amazing thing was there were some spectators at Wembley watching the final or watching the playoff who had actually, as kids, seen Brentford play in that league, in the first division. That's amazing. It's absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. It's funny how some of these teams come and go. I remember as a kid, I used to leaf through these books, the football books of my brother. And they were older books. And it was, you know, I just used to look at who'd won the league and there were... Bishop Hawk, I mean, never won the league, perhaps, but they were like, you know, big teams back in the day, or at least giant killers, Blythe Spartans and Bishop Auckland and all these kind of teams from the northeast. But you think of people like Preston North End and... Uh, Preston North End, yeah, I was about to mention, know, they were massive. Yeah, you know, they, they, that's right. So there was a, there was a programme on television, it was a series, I think, on Netflix, about the birth of the football league and how it was kind of a big deal when these northern teams then started playing football and it were, but they weren't a part of the football association I don't think so it was all a bit hard to accept that the, the kind of factory teams from the north were all of a sudden fielding football teams that were beating you know Windsor and Eton and things like that. And it was also around that one of the big things I can remember about sort of you know, reading about this stuff is that how the teams that sort of sort of started the football leagues and so on were all amateurs. Oh, yeah. And they were very much against the idea of professional footballers. Well, yeah. And you look at it now, even the Olympics now is professional footballers. That's spot on, actually. It, that was one of the features of short series where it was really interesting. A couple of players came from Glasgow to play for... I think it could have even been Preston. It was some one of these teams that developed then into a uh, into a, a decent football team. And yeah, that's right. There was all of a sudden it was a case of well, you're not from this place. You've come from Glasgow. You must be being paid for this. I wish I could remember the series name, but yeah, you know, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Fun fact. So the, the village I once lived in North Wales was where the Welsh Football League was founded. The Wednesday <laughs> Arms, Rue Aben. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, so football, obviously. Yeah. Now the Euros, hopefully England will do well. Hopefully it'll be a really good tournament. Mm, looking forward to it. I'm really interested to see what happens regarding the opening of England and allowing us fans to the stadiums in large numbers. Yeah. 
because it's going to be quite interesting seeing where England is and Scotland compared to Europe. It will. And I suppose that there are a number of things on the horizon there really, aren't there, that if we are to accept stadiums at half capacity for however long, it must surely have then an impact on the uh, ticket prices. They'll be going up. I don't think it'll impact the atmosphere that much because the, the atmosphere so far at the football matches have been pretty good. Rather than people having their mouths full of sandwiches, they're actually supporting the team and, and singing and shouting. Yeah. So the atmospheres have been pretty been pretty good yeah it will be interesting to see where we go with with all of that really and fingers crossed that we um, what confuses me is i keep thinking of time travel back in time because they keep calling it euro what is it 2020 yeah yeah <laughs> we've, we've waited <laughs> a year for it. Yeah. so i'm thinking oh wow that's great i'm not as old as i thought i was <laughs> <laughs> So, um... I mean, I'm really hoping that, I mean, in London, it's going to be quite strange because uh, obviously, and I, I'll touch on it later on about Manchester. We want to get the, you know, the hotels need to open up properly, get you know, more people need to have things to do. Hospitality industry is now starting to sort of revive itself, you know, from the last sort of you know, year or so. All of these things, though, if people start attending the sports event, they'll come the night before, they may decide to stay the night after, for the, day, you know, for the next day. All of that leads to all the right things to get the economy moving in the right way and hospitality obviously you start seeing it with, with the vibe that it creates that all of a sudden lots of other things come the pubs will be busy restaurants get busy etc etc and it's very strange at the moment in the sense that the latest news is they're trying to sort of delay opening and it's like I don't think people realise what's the point of delaying by a week what's the point of delaying by two weeks when you start thinking it from a business perspective it's like that's not really going to help anybody does it really help so it's the date given to the government it's a tough decision I've no doubt about that but it's going to be interesting to see what happens and how people get together and talking about getting together so my weekend Grumunda does her charity work and she dragged the family to a lager event which is a bit strange because we're teetotalers I was going to say, Raj, drag to a lager event. You need to drag me out of it. <laughs> yes, and it turns out it isn't quite what you think it is, all right? So it was a group of people. It's like a charity, and they call lager, and it's just basically the acronym they have. And it's, I don't I forget what the L stands for, but it's the Ealing group. It's the Eagle Ealing residential group, and what they do, they go around Ealing cleaning up the streets. Okay, so they go, they're litter pickers, okay? And they I live in Hounslow, so what the hell am I doing going to Ealing to help clean up Ealing? And he went there and it's a nice thing. I mean, you know, there are about 20, 30 people or maybe a bit less. And we're going around with bags and in that hour or so, I don't know if it's a reflection of feeling, but in the hour or so that we were there, we actually filled four bags just ourselves. Really? Which kind of gives you an idea of how bad the situation may be elsewhere. <clears throat> but this charity group have won a Queen's Award. I bet they have. The lady who runs it is a really nice lady and she's really an ideal sort of person from a community perspective. Mm. All right. She really, her, her whole attitude is that if we don't keep the place clean, if we don't show you can keep it clean, why won't other people then prevent people from actually making a mess in the first place when they see that actually other, other residents are going around cleaning up the mess in, in their areas? I suppose the irony is that, bearing in mind that the council should be doing this work, I suppose. Exactly. I suppose the irony is that most of the rubbish was outside the town hall with parking tickets that they're falsely issued. And uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ealing is a nightmare. I think they're trying to ape Richmond and, and Kingston in trying to be anti-car. It is not easy to find parking. It's not easy it's to not drive down the roads around here. But honestly, <laughs> they, they've put roadblocks with flower pots and with flower pot roadblocks all over the place. Funny, it's just. Oh, God. Yeah, it's, it's in, in order to encourage the pedestrians, but all it does is you just get in the car and you drive twice as far 
to go around the the scenic route to get to Tesco. Yeah, to wherever you want to get to, yeah. It was interesting, you know, and and that comment about maybe the council should be doing this was a comment I made. It didn't go down too well, to be honest. Really? It was good. It's a nice community event. It was a nice community thing. And yeah, you know, it's, mm. you get people from different backgrounds. Sounds, have a chat. Yeah, sounds sounds good, actually. I, I saw a similar thing in Kensington the other day in that Brompton Cemetery, and there were a lot of people having a good time and just cleaning the place up by the looks of it. But they didn't. They looked like volunteers. So that's great. Yeah. That's fine. It, it, no, it's good. It, it, was, it was good. It was good. You know, people are walking now in a way that they never walked before. How do you mean? So we went... Limping because uh, they've, they've lost the functions of their legs. No, I, I mean, before the pandemic, I don't think as many people went out to do walks as, as they do now. And it was quite strange. So we went to a local park, Australia, which is a lovely park, and we met a friend of ours for many, many years, and we were just strolling along, and we met her, and we had a nice chat. It was lovely, you know, we chat for about nearly 15, 20 minutes, and then we set off in the same direction. It looked like she was training for the Olympics. Yeah. I couldn't believe how far she was walking, and I was thinking, she never used to walk like that before. No, no. This is unbelievable. And it was, she wasn't the only one. And I'm thinking, am, am I getting old? Mm. Or am I just too relaxed? Yeah. Or has now power walking become a thing? I suppose that there is a purpose to walking now, isn't there? Where it's just kind of not because you've got nothing to do, but you're actually trying to exercise, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, 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 it was strange. It was actually quite strange. Something I don't do enough of, I have to say. Yeah. You're not the only one. Once the rules around the pandemic have changed and we're back to normal, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see just how many people no longer see walking at the sort of distances that they walked before. Yeah, that's right. And you, you think about the gyms reopening and what have you. And it kind of like I, my, my mind wanders to, to our good old hospitality sector in a way and the gyms in, in the hotels and whether they will be offering a, a new kind of place in in the community almost where they where people go to make use of those facilities i don't know yeah the, the local sports centers are going to it's going to be interesting how they sort of come bring themselves out into the open in terms of opening up in a way that everyone can be confident about so yeah it's, it's going to be interesting yeah. anyway news and what's going on around the world quite a few things have struck me actually and obviously you know you're looking at stuff as well coronavirus is always going to be in the news it seems it has been for the last year obviously for very good reasons it's interesting how it's being sort of portrayed i think i get this perception that there's almost an unnecessary fear of things because people have forgotten what things were like before the pandemic let me give you an example in the uk we have the flu injection every year take for granted isn't it before the pandemic if anybody we didn't even think about the flu injection that goes to people over the age of 65 70 didn't even think about it the flu is actually a coronavirus okay very similar sort of thing and when people talk about the coronavirus now nobody asks the question are we at a stage now that it's no different to having the flu it feels it certainly feels that way you kind of with respect to the people who have sadly lost their lives or that the people who have lost relatives and friends kind of don't want to play it down like that do you it's been it's been one heck of a virus and, it, and it's been devastating yeah i mean it is devastating. I mean, even though we in the family have lost a number of people and one of them quite recently. But in the UK, it is far better than it is in other countries. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of, and, and, yeah, and, and so, you're so comparing it, it with, really. I mean, because we, we've had, a, we've, I've not looked at the stats. It's been terrible, but the, the airlines are desperate to sort of get people travelling. I saw one statement where I think the guys from Ryanair were saying that most people have been vaccinated in Europe, and that's not the case. They should just be honest and say, look, we, when you go abroad, just make sure you're covered properly and things are done properly and have confidence in places you go to. Portugal 
political obviously coming off off the green list is a huge issue for the Portuguese, obviously. But one of the things I was looking at, and it's not really been covered in the news, and I think this is one of the reasons why people are going to stay at home, because people, when they want to go on holiday, will ask questions and look at things that the press don't really talk about. I don't know if you heard the announcement from AXA, one of the biggest insurance agents in the UK. Okay, they came out with a statement saying that their insurance is not valid if you go to a country that is not effectively on the green list. Okay, and not only that, but whereas before they would they, they would cover the refunds and any changes due to COVID, they're not doing that anymore. Yeah, a long long time ago, when we were discussing online with the group which would to which we both belong. A German member of, of that group, and they were saying about the in, the Association of German Business Travelers and the issue, as, as I think we discussed way back then, was, you know, would insurance cover corporates getting into planes again? And that was a massive problem for the restart of the corporate business. So, yeah, I can well yeah. imagine that, that insurance is in, will be an issue. Yeah, exactly. And giving and mailing the refunds. We've been very busy uh, talking to our customers, looking at their processes to manage refunds a lot easier. We've done a lot of work last week with a couple of customers just to sort of make sure that they were totally on top of their refund policies and could manage the refunds very quickly. And I'll talk about that later. But it was just interesting that I think it all leads to this idea that people want more information about hotels, more information about how to stay around that place and then coming back. They're asking a lot more questions. That's right. I think I would like to think when, when you describe it like that, I would like to think that ignorance or denial, perhaps, on the one hand, and paranoia on the other, have somehow met in the middle to where most of us will then, myself included, hopefully I'll move from the paranoia end into a kind of an area where I can judge it, whether it's safe or not, based on a lot more facts that we know about now. So it's going to be a lot easier, I think. We're not going to be denying yeah. or, or being paranoid, but we can we know what it's all about now. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this, I think, leads also to one of the other things that came out last week. There were some Q1 numbers that were issued by Hilton, Hyatt and Marriott that were quite interesting. And they were showing how the bookings have changed in Q1 of 2021. And they were comparing, obviously, pre-COVID levels. You know, last year was a wipeout, really. What I thought was interesting was that the corporate sector and group sector, as we know, have seen significant reductions. But the leisure, the leisure bookings in Q1 of 2021 seem to have some resilience. Hilton only reported a 10% reduction in their normal bookings, which is actually very low when you think about it. And Marriott just said it was above pre-COVID levels, which means it must be pretty high. Because we're not talking a small group here. And the leisure market itself, one of the things that was interesting that came out of various numbers and how people were sort of looking at the numbers that were being provided, not just by those groups, but by other groups, was that there are a lot of direct bookings happening now. And last Friday, there was a report saying that there were more direct bookings being made than there were Expedia bookings. And that Booking.com had seen a reduction in number of bookings because people are now getting more direct. And they were trying to work out why people weren't working, weren't booking with Expedia or with Booking.com. And some of the reasons that came through were actually quite interesting. If I just highlight a couple of them. One was with Expedia, because people are now reluctant to travel by air, okay, Expedia is suffering from the fact that it tends to try to provide bundles. So therefore, part of its USP has been affected. And in terms of Booking.com, what was really interesting was Booking.com, it seems to be a trust issue. And that was that people were not trusting the 
reviews because they were old because obviously the hotels have been closed for a long time reviews are going to be a year or more old so they don't trust them and I think also the other element of it is because they've got so many questions they're looking at the information that is on the hotels you know, on the booking.com or Expedia websites and they're not answering those questions they appear to be out of date so as a result if you want to travel and you've got those questions the only source you have is to actually talk to the hotel yeah talk to the hostel or the service department provider and that's leading to a lot of direct bookings and that's a good thing I think but it's interesting that the market is becoming more leisure based but the OTAs aren't able to deliver some of the things that would actually give a boost to the bookings yeah yeah it's an interesting one really isn't it who knows what, what's happening out there but with trust the consumer I'm sure is inclined now rather than buying to put it in supermarket terms buying straight off the shelf as, as you whiz past with your shopping basket they're looking at the they're stopping and looking at the ingredients a lot closer or in, in the case of hotels they're looking a lot closer at what social distancing provisions there are and, and what have you P- people are educating themselves perhaps a lot a lot more now on where they're staying um interesting one with with the direct bookings but that would that would then be probably as a direct result of that extra scrutiny and, and caution to actually listen to when you phone them up when you phone up a ho- um, accommodation how they answer the phone and, and whether they're delivering that service and, and care to you on the phone that you hope would be the case when you actually turn up and um and ho- are hoping for a clean hygienically um cleaned room um regarding the o- overall the the kind of bookings maybe there's just a different market maybe i mean we will have that boom in um staycations again in in the summer i'm sure about that but the the contractors have been um filling up the the hotels over over recent months and um domestic whether domestic whether it's corporate leisure or or contractor will continue won't it until until the planes are are flying in any great numbers and until people are feeling comfortable with 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 flying so that's right you know in fact what was what was interesting was that Travelodge opened seven hotels uh last few days and um the locations were interesting I thought they like there were three that really struck me as being uh very interesting one and they and they argued that well they wouldn't argue but the CEO uh, was talking about how they're driven by customer demand and they saw demand in Farringdon they opened a hotel there uh, one in St Albans and another one in um, I think it was Bristol yeah Bristol and it was they were interesting locations because you don't I mean, Bristol yes I can understand it Farringdon Obviously, there's an expectation of London opening up. I can understand that one. St Albans kind of threw me. But what actually was quite surprising about what they were talking about was that actually in the same statement, they started talking about something that I hadn't heard of before in terms, and it just shows how little I know about some of the hotel stuff. (laughs) The super room. You know, hotels like to reinvent themselves. but I've not heard anyone use the term super room. So I decided to have a look at super room. What does it mean? And the super room was basically unique because it had its own iron. You had your own ironing board. You had a coffee maker. You had an in-room hair dryer and a choice of pillows. 
And I must admit, when I started thinking about that stuff, I thought, well, isn't that just a lot of the things we take for granted with the service department? And it's really coming down to the fact that people want to be somewhere, but still be separate. Yeah, it's worrying in some respects, uh, I think, when, when any brand differentiates like that, because if they are calling something at the top level, which you would consider standard, then, then it relegates everything else to substandard. And uh, for any, any brand that's, that's presenting to the market like that, if, if any of their um, properties don't offer, in this case, a super room, you kind of, the logic is a substandard and I won't, you won't want to stay there. So it's almost like shooting yourself in the foot in some respects, because they are so standard. Okay, but yeah, aren't they? You, you, you open up the, the wardrobe and there's, a, there's an ironing board there, isn't there usually? I don't know. I mean, the last time I went to a travel lodge you know, and it wasn't that far, uh, about a couple of years ago, and there wasn't uh, an ironing board, there wasn't an iron, and there wasn't a hairdryer. Really? Was there a bath? So, you know, I know, I must admit, I must admit, maybe it's, and I actually paid quite a lot of money for that room, but still, you know, yeah. it, it seems very strange. It seems very strange that they caught this, this concept of the super room uh, is equated to having an iron, an iron on an ironing board. Yeah, you right. want to have something, I think they also say you've got a slightly bigger TV fine but then is the, is the room any bigger because the big <laughs> if the t if the room is still a small room a big tv is just out of place anyway yeah clutching at straws in some respects with the greatest of respect to 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 that very popular brand but um you know it, it yeah it it does it does kind of highlight what what apart hotels offer as a, as a result as as standard absolutely standard yeah. these days so Exactly. And also, I mean, there's a, there's a big, big positive about the story because it's seven of 17 hotels are opening this year. So the fact that they're really pushing for this and you know, they've, there's a lot of talk about, and I've seen the stats about how well the bank holidays have been in May. Well, well not the first one, but the second one, right. okay, in terms of bookings has been very, very good. Um, so you can see there's a vibrancy coming and Economically, there's been a lot of good numbers in terms of people expecting a significant boost in the economy over the next sort of six months. So yes, so the announcement is good, but it's just strange how it's being sold, I think, in terms of how they're selling this concept of a super room. What I thought was interesting was Manchester. The cities have been struggling throughout the pandemic in terms of hospitality. And Manchester actually had a very good bank holiday um, in terms of its ho uh, hotel business. And what I thought was interesting was that um, the local associations, you know, not just the council, but also the hotel associations and other businesses are now recognizing the importance of hospitality in a way they didn't before. I think we mentioned it last time about New York, et cetera. The people are suddenly realizing that you don't want to put hurdles in place for hospitality because otherwise it affects other parts of your local economy and in Manchester um, they've introduced um, a three for two you know the, the local association is helping to put together this package of encouraging people to get a third night free making them stay a bit, just a bit longer 
you know, maybe decide to go to the restaurant that they otherwise would not have gone to, go to the pub, go for a walk, go and see something. And I thought that was really good. I thought that was really I mean, good. I think Manchester, I, I, I'm not aware of any other, I don't know if it's standard for other cities or, or London, we've probably got it in London, but um, people, somebody specifically re responsible for, in Manchester's case, let's say the night, the nighttime economy, you know, you think, what, that there's somebody actually responsible in thinking about businesses that open up at, at night time? the clubs the restaurants and, and what have you but they are and there there is in manchester and it's been having it's had quite a lot of quite high profile um and yeah they're, they're probably more coordinated than, than than other other cities i don't i don't know i think it might set a good standard because i think one of the things um and I think it's going to happen on a global scale, is people will start looking at how countries come out of the pandemic, how they come out of lockdown, how they revive their economies. And I think, you know, in London, the, the, you know, the mayor said he's going to spend £7 million on a, um, some campaign to help hotels and hospitality. It's, a, it's peanuts. We're talking about a city with ten, you know, almost 10 million people, 8, 9, 10 million people. It's a massive economy in London. £7 million is peanuts. But so what he's going to do with it, I don't know. However, Manchester may be setting a very good example. Yeah. Having a very specific method of trying to come out of the uh, lockdown by understanding the need to encourage that one extra night. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I, th I think it's probably also led by, a, a, you know, a, a high profile and respected um, mayor in Manchester who yeah, uh, yeah Andy Burnham is very yeah. good. and, um, and it's, it's interesting some of the hotels that are involved I mean rooms the service department provider are also involved in that so yeah yeah it's really, it's really really good in terms of opening up and obviously you know um, you know we mentioned kind of you know, insurance and so on um, there was a survey done last week well, it was actually um, released last week, the results that were released last week regarding staffing and the issues of staffing. And they did, it was actually a confidence, a business confidence survey for the hospitality industry. And nine in 10 business owners and you know, CEOs, nine in 10 are expecting staff shortages, okay. And what I thought was quite interesting, um, you might remember when we were talking about it last time, I said, the problem is they never talk about the roles. You know, they never talk, they just says we have shortage, but they don't tell you what the jobs are. This one, they try to work out what, where the jobs are. And of those jobs that are out there, that they, of the shortages, more than 50% of the, are in all roles. So all roles, I mean, literally the whole business has, throughout its range of staff, has the shortages. Mm -hmm. um, and, then, and then there were almost 40% were just back office, which I thought was really interesting. Because if you think about the back office, you know, you would have thought those were the roles where people could work from home. Yeah. You just thought, so how is that all of a sudden a shortage? Yeah, it is an interesting. They, they, you wouldn't have furloughed, you, if you'd furloughed those stuff, you'd bring them back on. So how could the back office suddenly produce such a significant number of shortages? Um, so that, that was really interesting. 
And the other thing that I started to make me think uh, about this again was um, there's been a lot of talk in the past about one of the uh, failures, and it is seen as a failure, is that in many industries, not just hospitality, but in many industries, they've become accustomed to just getting people and not doing training. They expect them to be trained somewhere else. So they're, whether they're coming from another country or another industry and coming into it, you expect people to be trained elsewhere and then you take them on. So there's, no, there's not enough training being done. And I was thinking that a lot of these shortages, if you actually think about it, it's a bit like chefs and so on. If the restaurants were actually doing just lunch um, or delivery services and so on, they had people on furlough. They could have taken people on within a month or so, put them onto the furlough skin, but allowed them to be trained, give them six months training and allow them to go through. So it is something that um, I think it's taken people by surprise in the wrong way. It, mean, it kind of implies that people haven't been thinking enough about it or the, they haven't understood what the impact of coming out of the, um, the lockdown of how positive it can actually be. Yeah, I mean, I think that going into um, the lockdown and, and the, in the, the past year and the furlough scheme and all the rest of it, I think that a, a lot of a lot of us were were learning in all aspects of, of, of life, and I think that there was a lot that was learned uh, about business, about how the businesses function. I think coming out of coming out of um, out of co the, the out of covid if, if i turn it like that um and the the shortage of staff i think that certainly in hospitality there is a, a degree of again we've learned something really uh, and i think that there are two aspects uh, to it the the first is that irrespective of of sector we're coming out of covid cautiously step by step and currently, I think that the hope, if not expectation, of businesses where, that you're moving into are that they will offer a hybrid setup of sometimes, uh, some days you'll, you'll go to the office, some days you'll, you'll be at home. And I don't know whether employers are, are, are learning fast enough, if that is the new, the new case, that that's what employees are hoping and, and expecting because it's a big deal after one and a quarter one and a half years to go back to work in every in every respect um health wise and the caution there and also the, the, the they've shown that they can work perfectly well from home another aspect is really will hospitality be again that kind of the domain of the the young person who has less fewer responsibilities doesn't really need to worry about whether they lose their job tomorrow or not the middle-aged um, people might have then reviewed their career and thought it's quite fragile um, in hospitality and do mm. we need to do I need to take do I need to review my situation and move into another sector don't know hope not because we'll be losing some great people Great people, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is a, it's a difficult thing because I think that hospitality pre-COVID was was booming, very much so. It was absolutely booming, yeah. and 
if somebody had said they were thinking of leaving the industry, you would have thought they were mad. Yeah, yeah. As with every aspect of life, and, and you know, you, you see those changes and it, it just morphs in front of your very eyes, doesn't it? So there, it's not it's not a linear thing and things will, it's like a Rubik's cube that keeps moving around and the, the, there will be different situations and different adjustments. It's like the repurposing of buildings that we've been uh, talking about in the past you know, and pop-up accommodation services, you know, I thought that was a shopping mall, yeah, well, this week it's a hotel, you know. Um, yeah. Things yeah. are going to change and they'll be moving really fast, I think, in the next few months until we do readjust and a degree of normality might settle, hopefully. But there's going to agility has been a word that's been banded about a lot and that will be what we'll be seeing i think i think they'll be shifting an awful lot repurposing of, of buildings and and changing of, of you know different aspects of life exactly exactly vrbo were in the news last week and it was something that i think we always we, we know that google are always trying to do new things and getting and especially in hospitality they've been trying for a long time to become almost like the big ota never quite seems to surface but they always try to move that way and i thought was what struck me about the vrbo thing was google have a product aimed at hotels as you know which is basically that will help you in the search engines we get you up front with your availability you can book through google etc etc and Google announced that um, in their search engine or in their searches for hospitality, they were going to include alongside hotels. Now they're going to start including uh, service accommodation and vacation rentals. Okay, something which um, Booking.com been doing for ages, to be honest. But what was interesting and what caught my eye was VRBO have decided not to get involved, and they'd been involved for two years. Right. And I, I was really surprised by it. And they, they took the decision a few months ago, um, well, more than a few months ago. But the, C, well, the CEO of Expedia was talking about how um, they were now using, instead of using the Google ad engines and so on, they were now repurposing that money. And they have found it being more effective. They're getting more bookings. They're getting better use of, the marketing is much better. They're, they're, they're able to get more online bookings by ignoring what Google are doing. Right. Um, it's, it gets really uh, entangled, doesn't it? Um, Google, now then, I'm going to show supreme ignorance here. So VRBO, they, they're the same stable as Expedia. Microsoft no longer own Expedia, run Expedia, is that right? I don't. Yes, I, I don't believe they do. Yeah. No. I'm, I'm so, because I could have seen a conflict otherwise there, um, Microsoft and Google. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I don't really know. The, the whole thing as well with OTAs and, and the longer term bookings, do, 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 is there not a maximum 30 days um, as, as well with booking.com, for example? Um, in which case, as we're seeing longer bookings increase, and the shorter bookings, the frequency of shorter bookings, you know, going down. Yeah, it's just a, it's a bit messy. It, it, for you saying, did, did Google 
Google can book longer term bookings, can that you can book? Well, well I, 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 I think they tend to book to sort of maximum 30 days to basically try to compete with Airbnb in many respects in that regard. That's a sort of, mm. but this, the, the vacation type rentals, I think, I mean, to me, the way I was looking at it, and this is uh, what sort of struck me was that the vacation rentals, you're looking at a, a seven day or a holiday type environment, isn't mm. it? Rather than just one night, two nights. That and it just seemed to me that uh, it was interesting that one of the big players had decided not to get involved, having been involved for two years in that product, and was now saying, we're getting better results. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of that is down to a number of things. One is they're hopefully making better use of the internet and their marketing on the internet. But more, I think, I think there's a lot of effort now being placed on if you're big enough, people have been with you before. I actually think, this, and there were, certainly we've been seeing it with some of our customers, that they are now getting a lot of customers coming back to them who they hadn't seen in years. That is true. It's happened, yeah, it's happened with, with us recently that. And uh, yeah, a client that hadn't, we'd not heard from for six years, and then all of a sudden they're, they're coming back. And then it's happened twice. So yeah, it, it another of those examples really of it constantly changing in front of your eyes, really, isn't it? I think that we, we can say categorically that, that the frequency of bookings, certainly in, in the corporate market, is fewer and longer stays. I think as a result, a lot of um, operators in this in the extended stays uh, market kind of reviewing whether they even want to accept anything short less than four days let's say uh, when they can sometimes expect four months rather yeah. so the players will be constantly now i think reviewing what what's being demanded in order to then supply what what's what's required and what's realistic do you want to book four months through an ota Maybe that's why Booking.com made that decision that it's kind of unrealistic because you need to know whether there's a cat flap for your cat that you're bringing and things like that. Yes, well. You know, the details. It's, uh, yeah, I think the relocation side and the long-term side is always going to be primarily through agents. I just think that here what was interesting was that actually when one looks at the hotel market, you look at what the big brands are saying with the fact that they've had such a massive loss of business from in terms of so little corporate travel group travel being almost non-existent uh, and they're now seeing a significant increase in leisure bookings and leisure bookings we could argue are up to seven days now you know i think it i think people will take a week off because they've built up holidays what they're going to do they're going to just you know the odd holiday every now and again people have got 28 days you're going to you're going to want to take a week off somewhere and you can't go abroad so it's going to be aiming at that sort of market and I think it's, it, it, it was just interesting that one of the big players in that market has decided to use a different method rather than Google. And it's interesting, it'd be interesting to find out what their, what their perception of the internet is, because there's it's also this big thing about maybe Instagram now is becoming the thing that people are going to be using to decide where they want to go, because at least you've got pictures, and as long as people keep it up to date, fine. But how are, getting people, how are people getting word of mouth? Is it just by WhatsApp? Is it by, you know, I don't think many people are going to be relying solely on searching in Google, to be honest, because if you, when I search in Google, it's so obviously that it's paid adverts. 
Well, and if you don't paid adverts, what are you going to do? You're going to end up going to Google Maps, basically. It wouldn't surprise me if Google Maps becomes the main driving source of a lot of this stuff. Yeah, that's very good question as to how we, we book. Um, uh, I was watching a, a, a webcast the other the other week. I'm not sure if I mentioned it the last time, but a relocation company based in London. I wish I could remember the name of them now because it was a, they were a, a great bunch of people. And their app, a new app, where you swipe left or right according to whether you are interested in that accommodation or not and then you get the short but you're clearly doing it well on a tablet where you can swipe or probably on your phone you know um and isn't that a lot more user friendly than doing uh, i don't know than searching for something on your phone using using google i mean swiping left and right um sounds great yeah it's going to be interesting to see just how people approach these things because if people are you know i remember many years ago when I was a, a director at one of the at one of the hotel companies, and I was I was standing outside the reception waiting for a supplier to turn up, and there was a a guest talking to the receptionist, and the receptionist just couldn't handle the guest queries. All the guy wanted to know was where are the best restaurants. Yeah, all he wanted to know, and the receptionist didn't have a clue where any of the restaurants were, to be honest, okay? And I had to step in, I spoke to the guy and I told him you know, where, where, where some of the better places were. I think people need to know more about the local area of a hotel now, far more than before. This idea of discovering, you don't wanna go somewhere and discover there's nothing there. <laughs> That's, you want to know in advance that stuff exists, that it's open, that it's, that it's available. And I think that's gonna change uh, how people even find places and look at places and maybe the sw swipe left, swipe right becomes a part of actually, well, they're swiping left because you know what? It's, it's very obvious nothing's there. Yeah. Uh, it's funny, isn't it? Because the, that whole concept of the live like a local, um, you know, live like a local, what you mean? You stay in your house all for months. Um, but but <laughs> seriously though, it, it's, there are great apps out there, uh, aren't there? Great platforms, and maybe that's where yeah. what will take over. May and but those receptionists, you know, for all that I would dread, then there will be a function. Some they will have a, a function, but maybe the function changes. Maybe they know. Maybe you get used to not going to reception to ask where the restaurants are. Maybe you just use one of those um, platforms where you can find the the local um, services and what have you. In fact, it's quite interesting. There was, um, you know, doing meet and greet. Just, just mentioning uh, receptions. Um, I forget the brand. I had to. I just read a story fleetingly, and it was about how some of the brands are changing the way they're uh, trying to. And it may have actually been travel lodge, to be honest. How they're actually trying to change to give people a safer environment, but actually uh, an environment that is more in tune with the way one people the way that people are booking and the way they're handling payments and the way they're handling cleaning etc cetera, etc cetera. and one of the things that was highlighted uh it was a recommendation oh actually it was a recommendation that's right it was a recommendation that actually only do meet and greets for people who book in advance and buy a meet and greet i'm talking about a proper meet and greet right 
if they haven't booked in advance. So it's almost as, as part of the service of giving a of having a meet of having a meet and greet, maybe being helped to your room and all that kind of stuff. That only applies to people who book in advance. Yeah. Whereas people who just turn up, they'll get the minimal service. Yeah, yeah. They'll get the guy who's a security guard actually, but he's the he's the for that particular moment he becomes the receptionist. Well, you know, it's it's a it calls into question all sorts of things, doesn't it? Really, even in leisure, you know, the 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 old weekend breaks where you had the newly retired or even just long term retired couples that were going on their weekend breaks. Maybe they will be the last people to return, and maybe the first people to be returned will be the millennials that are just there, you know, the, to obviously enjoy life again. Or the, the families who have been climbing the wall because the kids have been driving them that way and they've got to get out by hook or by crook. So, yeah, yeah those kind of luxury weekends or those luxury stays that we usually, from so older, the older age group, maybe they will be the last to return. Um, so, yeah, what, what is on offer then might well change. Um, yeah, I think it's going. I think it's redefining many of these things. I mean, that things that you know, if the proposition changes, I mean, there's lots of business, good business reasons to encourage people to book in advance. There's lots and lots of good reasons for, even from a consumer perspective, to be con confident that your room is going to be there, it's going to be handled the right way, and all that kind of stuff. But I think that part of it is handling the refund. If there's a change in the program, once we get past that sort of scenario where people are um almost certain to be able to travel the certainty of actually going somewhere i think the advanced bookings are going to become the norm for those groups that want a slightly higher level of service is it is it also the case that you know the longer the, the later bookings um for a higher risk for the for the properties because of chargebacks yeah yeah well, it's not so much the chargebacks, actually. I mean, they are. I mean, we, we do a lot of work in stopping those sort of things. But there is a scenario where, you know, if you if you don't handle that late booking properly, it's very likely that you might end up having to deal with a chargeback. And, and, we, and yes, we stop a lot of that stuff. There are things that can be done to prevent all those chargebacks. But it's I think, uh, you know, how many people are going to be doing having walk-ins now? Mm -hmm. Now, there was this crazy thing. I mean, I thought it was crazy. I'm not saying it. Maybe I shouldn't. Like, it's crazy. Birmingham City Council have uh, introduced this thing where they want to um, pedestrianise parts of the bull ring. So they're, go they're basically stopping cars going in. They're having a congestion charge and all that kind of stuff. Okay. So they, they want to pedestrianise the whole areas and effectively, you know, say fewer cars going into the Birmingham City Centre, which on the one hand sounds like a great idea sounds like a fantastic idea but then you've got to start thinking about okay do any of those people who make that decision have any of them taken the bus carrying you know, four bags of shopping in the rain yeah if you if people don't take their cars in chances are they'll actually buy less yeah yeah they'll buy less so the economy will actually become depressed mm -hmm. so, and then you start thinking okay if there's fewer people going there then how many walk-ins are going to happen? Is it going to be based purely on the corporates who happen to be there and decide to stay overnight? Yeah. So it has that sort of consequence of, you know, footfall is so important in and around the hotels. 
if the if the hotels are perceiving that things are changing in such a way that the footfall is being reduced, then yeah, maybe the the person who does the last minute booking is literally going to get the lowest level of product. Yeah, because worth having all that manpower in place just in case somebody turns up. It does make you think, doesn't it? Um, greater minds than, than than mine will be will be applying themselves, but. There, it is that balance, isn't it, between um, then health um, and um, the the environment against um, commerce, and whether then, whilst some aspects might not make sense, whether then you kind of like look at that page again and say, but will it be a better world, and will those people in those businesses then simply I don't know, move to a shopping centre out of town to, to offer their goods or will they be offering other things because it's the, it's the most important thing and that's something that's coming up, I think, in hospitality a lot, isn't it, these days with um, sustainability, sustainable, uh, recognising that, that we need to play a part in a, in, in a world which where there are sustainables. Um, so it is, yeah, it's, it's you know, here in, in West London and the the question of whether the flower pot roadblocks they will you're quite right right they, they will have reduced the the number of people going into the local shops because they can't get there anymore and so they're saying tell you what i'll make my own bread kind of makes it into a nicer world but the, the local shopkeepers might not agree with you you have to walk there but like you say you've got to carry the things back so you buy less yeah, yeah it's it, 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 and, you, and you would do end up buying less, there's no doubt about that. In my, my opinion, anyway, I mean, if you're on your own, fair enough, you might, you know. But if you're in a family, there's no way you're going to be buying, carrying six bags back. Well, no, I mean, no, my, no. My, my, my own family have been very disappointed when I've um, relegated the family shopping to, because I couldn't carry the uh, cans of lager. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's to prioritise, haven't you? Yeah. That's true, that's true. Okay, um... So it's been an interesting week, no doubt, things going forward. Is there anything you're looking forward to in terms of the news, in terms of things happening over the next week? I mean, personally, I am, but that's simply because of um, uh, activity on Clubhouse. I'm quite interested in, in what we're doing there. Um, I think that we've learned a lot uh, over the past year regarding communicating um, with industry colleagues and with potential clients, with clients, um, and that's happening online a lot now. So that, that's been very, very interesting. And just generally, uh, fingers crossed and keeping my, keep, keep looking through the curtains and hoping that the world is getting slowly but surely a little bit um, back um, more normal each day. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I tell you, where I am, I can hear the planes landing now far more frequently than before. So, you know, you know, the world's slowly getting better. The thing that I'm interested in seeing, and obviously what happens over the next week or so, is the government is pushing its agenda on um, climate change. And I, I was reading how uh, councils and, and government contracts, they're actually insisting that people get... Those companies that are net zero, that can demonstrate they have a net zero impact on... Uh, a zero impact on the climate, they're going to be given preference on contracts whether it be going in to do work, IT systems or hospitality, whatever. Those contracts are going to be, the, the smaller companies and bigger companies 
have will be given a priority if they're net zero. And to me, it's hard to be net zero if you're a big company. I've worked in enough companies to know that that is not an easy thing. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how smaller businesses suddenly step up to an opportunity that would never have been there if it wasn't for the climate change agenda of, and it's not just in the UK, it's going to be across the globe, isn't it? So it's going to be really interesting just how, how that is actually um, taken advantage of by the smaller business people, because they can be net zero. Yeah, it worries me sometimes regarding um, centralised agendas uh, where the ultimate faith is put in the people responsible for them actually knowing what they're doing. Um, and, you know, I, could, uh, I, I hope, uh, remaining, remaining positive about it, there's no reason I should, I should doubt it, but I just hope that, that those, um, those uh, policies, they, that they are sensible and, and th well thought through. Otherwise, I'm just a big, big um, believer in natural supply and demand and let the consumers um, decide then whether they want to purchase from companies which perhaps they know to be uh, not particularly respecting of the environment, uh, you know, yeah, because exactly. you can make your bottom dollar that as soon as a document's uh, um, generated that says what companies can and can't do, number one, it's out of date, uh, and number two, assuming and hoping that it's actually well formulated so um yeah i'm a big 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 fan of supply and demand yeah and it's quite strange because one of my customers called me at the weekend and he's got a number of guest houses that provide accommodation to um uh, people in um who need supported housing from councils and he's uh putting in some tenders and every year he puts in these tenders and he just said this year he needed my help and he's, I've never been asked to help with this kind of stuff before because we're the payments company, we provide the PMS, we don't normally get involved with the tendering process. And one of the things that kind of shocked me about it was one, it was a hell of a lot of paperwork compared to last year. Mm. He's doing is it, he's having to do a lot more than he had to do last year. And if he gets, gets through the tendering process, I reckon he'll win the tender quite easily. Yeah. He's just getting through that tender because it is, it's covering so many areas and yes he's got to show that he's done things to become you know uh, net zero but also other things as well in terms of covid and the processes and and i think that's going to be kind of like a template it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the next couple of weeks and from my perspective see what happens with this tender if he gets his tender in and he wins i'm going to be able to say right our system's helped him but if he doesn't if you really don't see why Having done so much, it's still not enough. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose that some of those authorities that are requiring that sort of paperwork then need to show up the line that they are doing what is expected of them and who, who ultimately is. Is it government-led? Obviously, it would be. I don't, I don't think it's government-led in that sense. I think the government's been quite loose in its interpretation okay. of a lot of things. Okay, it's allowing the authorities to kind of determine. And the authorities, I genuinely think they're kind of guessing. Mm. So part of it is, what are you like as an organization? What are you doing in terms of, you know, and there is an element of it that's to do with actually climate change. 
So, you know, you, you want to be able to say that you're using low powered light bulbs and that your systems aren't you know, um, generating less electricity and that kind of stuff. But the other thing that's important is that it's the processes of managing the customer, the client in their case, they call it the client. And the pre-arrival um, processes, the during stay processes and the post-stay processes Okay, so it's and, and it is quite because they've got communal areas, they've got the rooms, and this is and obviously these are services they provide as well on top of that. So it those kind of things now there's almost like a sensitivity to the whole thing, but a big company would have a nightmare trying to compete with that stuff. Yeah, because um, all it could do is have a generic set of circumstances that you could a generic set of operating procedures that ultimately anybody can tear apart because they know there's a level of uniqueness involved with some of their clientele. Yeah, it can kind of, the, admin, the, the red tape can, can strangle you, can't it? And maybe if it becomes too much, then you just change the model that it, or how you, how you operate. Um, so it, but big companies aren't that. I don't think big companies are flexible enough to do some of that stuff. That's right. But then that then it, I'm thinking that maybe they they would then, there would then be a tendency to, or if it is indeed possible in this particular case, but to make companies kind of smaller and and then in, in themselves more more agile to deal with that yeah. kind of thing. Um, and and at the end of the day. Uh, you know that's what will happen, isn't it? Because otherwise, the the supply of those goods or services will simply seize up with the with the amount of paperwork until someone comes along with the idea of well, let's just kind of do it a different way then. Exactly, exactly. Right. So that's news and views. Right. Okay. A couple of quick questions, and then I'm conscious of the time. Any new ideas or any new things that you've been coming across that you might want to mention to the listeners? You want me to say, I'll say something first, okay, I'll say something first. So we've been busy, because now we are seeing hotels are opening up. In Europe, they're opening up as well. We are seeing bookings coming through in Europe, and that's just really in England as well, when the bank holidays have been really, really fantastic. Um, we've been asked to actually make sure refund processes are working properly. So one of the things that we've um, got involved with, and I think it's always good for anyone looking for a new system that when you look for new systems it's always worth asking certain questions now that you probably wouldn't have asked pre-pandemic so one of the things is um, how do your suppliers assist you in dealing with refunds and making and dealing with the queries that come from refunds so one of the things that's happening now is that as refunds are being done as pre-auths are being cancelled, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Some of the new banks are not responding properly and they're holding onto people's money. So it looks like the refund hasn't gone through and they blame the hotel. Well, actually it has gone through. And the problem the hotel has, it doesn't know how to describe the problem. It doesn't know how to explain what's happened to the guest. And as a result, the guest just gets really, really angry with the wrong people, okay? So we've been um, doing a number of things to just help uh, the hotels and our customers in their um, activities of um, engaging with the customer to explain exactly what's happening and giving them information. And that information we give only a provider of those services can give. 
it isn't easily available to the end user. And that sort of thing is something that now with people being so wary of traveling due to cancel potential cancellations, et cetera, I think the hotels need to make sure they've got somebody they can rely on to back them up so that they don't upset the customers. And if they don't upset the customers, guess what? They're more likely to rebook. Absolutely, 100%, yeah. I mean, I've, I've been made aware in the past year as well of a kind of a cumbersome process with, with some of the companies that you, you may have felt that you could trust with 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 your finances and uh, i was a little bit disappointed there but in in a similar kind of regard um reviews um uh, i've been reading recently um a couple of stories where um people have been trying to remove reviews that have that have appeared uh, from their property so the property owner trying to re remove reviews because the the guest had actually completed the review for the wrong property uh that they so <laughs> they they were actually so to, to listeners out there please um i'm not saying disregard reviews at all but 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 bear in mind if it's inconsistent with some of the other reviews the 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 user may have just um uh, completed the review when they were driving down the M6 and didn't realise that they'd got they'd done the wrong the wrong property. So that was something that you know, <laughs> talking like... about trust. You know, you you would imagine that the, the reviews could be trusted by that because that's the whole point of the reviews. But you can't act, you sometimes can't re trust the reviewer to have completed it for the right property. Yeah, I mean, if you actually think about it, how many times in the past have we heard that you people have been so so demanding of a hotel after they've left oh, yeah. don't mention don't mention anything while they're there and all of a sudden it comes out of the blooming review and now you've got a situation where they're doing demanding of your of somebody else's hotel but you've got the flag for it that's right yeah, you might say true British um, in true British fashion, because um, you know we're, I think we're quite well known for being tolerant and quiet, and then we and then we'll complain about it at the end when it when it's too late. So yeah, yeah. would urge everybody obviously to complain when it's when it's when you can when it's in, in a timely fashion, really. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thanks a lot. And thank you, Ross. For our listeners, I just like to say, have a great week. Indeed. Yeah.